0: Jesus, you called us to remember, as Jed was talking. Um, Not just to think about something in the past, but realize the living reality that you, the life, the truth, the way, you are among us as your church. You are our head. And your spirit animates us, directs us, transforms us. And we don't need to summon you to have you present. We just need to be aware that you are. And Lord, as we come now to your word, that you, reveals to us who you are. May we know you a little better. May we be chastened, taught, corrected, may we celebrate, may we be convicted, wherever we need to be, as we are sensitive to your spirit and his power revealed to us in these words. We pray this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, three in one, we lift up our voices to you and now our hearts. Amen. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we have been, uh, if you're visiting with us, we have been journeying through the book of 1 Corinthians, and the book of 1 Corinthians is written to a church that is a mess. Um, they have made a mess of everything, and so it's very much a letter of correction. Um, and and we've we've talked about a lot of topics. Um, this morning we come to a passage that um, I'm going to be very honest with you. I think it's misinterpreted a lot. Um, and it is a passage dealing with, um, if you, you have a Bible that has, head, has headings and stuff, it says head coverings or, um, or proper worship or whatever. We want to talk about the mess that this church, this church of Corinth had made of prayer in their worship. Now, um prayer is a very important part of Christian worship. Um it always has been. Um but it it has a lot of meaning not just only in the church, but the 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 idea of prayer as part of worship is part of the bigger Greco-Roman world. There was a there was a, a sense of you spoke to the gods um when you came to a place that was dedicated to that god. And so in that sense Prayer, and I put air quotes around that, was very familiar to the Greco-Roman world. However, Christian prayer was a very different thing. And Paul is going to be dealing with the attitudes of people in public prayer. And I'm going to get into some of the details about this and talk about some of the mess that sometimes gets made about their mess. But let's just go ahead, chapter 11 and verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions or the teaching um, even as I delivered them to you but i want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered with his head covered dishonors his head But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now before I get any further, I want to ask you a question. Um, Who is this about? Is this about men or is it about women? Sounds like both. Both. But Paul is the thing about always mentioning the most important thing first. So who do you think is making the biggest mess in this church? The men. I want you to keep that in mind. Because often this passage gets read as if it is a correction to the women of the church of Corinth. And I'm not entirely sure that that's the case. Every man, verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head. But every wife... "...who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head." Now, people tend to focus on that, but look at where he goes. "...for a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God." But women, a woman is the glory of a man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now again, people tend to read this as a criticism of the women. I want you to try to read it as an analysis of an issue with the men in this church. And that possibly the women are, might actually be doing the right thing that they actually have been praying with their heads covered. I'm going to talk about what that means. And he's actually trying to correct the men who are botching things. Okay, So just hold that in mind. I'm not saying it's absolute. I'm just saying hold that in your mind. Verse 10, that's why a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Most confusing verse in the entire passage. No idea what that means. Nevertheless, in the Lord, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. That really should be, nevertheless, in the Lord, the wife is not independent of the husband nor the husband of the woman. For as uh, the wife was made from, man, from her husband, woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Now, I want you to underline that last sentence. Because we tend to treat this passage as if it's dealing with the gendered roles in the church. It's not really. It's dealing with the sovereignty of God and our attitude toward it. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wear long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, um, by the way, that that last verse, verse 16, Paul kind of is saying, I'm dealing with, and I I want you to grasp this. He says, I'm dealing with the situation that's very specific to you guys. So I'm not saying that this is a universal standard about how you should cover your head or not cover your head in church. He's saying there's some, there's an issue in the Corinthian church. There's a problem that I want to address a deeper issue because of your behavior. And here is the real problem. I think you can disagree. That's okay. Um, I actually went ahead and posted several... Um, articles on this issue of head covering that if you want to you can go to the website and click on the discussion on this sermon you can see the links for these for the articles that deal with this here's the issue in the corinthian church there are really two things that might or might not be going on Um, one's going on with the men and one's going on with the women i'm not entirely sure there actually was a problem with the women in this church with this particular behavior the comment commentators disagree and that's okay but i do know there was an issue with the men and here's the issue with the men as they were coming into the christian worship into the church services they were covering their heads now how many of you grew up in, in a culture where if you wore a hat into a building somebody smacked it off your head all right, guys, you've been there. All right, if you're in the military, what do you do the second you cross the threshold? You uncover. You never wear your hat inside. You never wear your cover inside. In the military, it's, in the Army anyway, it's called a cover. It's not called a hat. It's not called a cap. Why is it called a cover? I don't know. They're in the military. Ask them. Um, they, th- they don't refer to things in correct, correct order anyway. It's like uniform, drab, olive. Um, but the – so this – Um, But what was happening is they were covering their heads. Now, this does not mean they were wearing baseball caps. Let me explain what was going on. The Corinthian church was composed mostly of Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, and in the Roman culture, when a man who was going to participate in the public observance of the worship, a, uh, a man of the elite, the equestrian orders, the, the imperial thing, the senate or whatever, when he was coming into the worship service, he would take a fold of his toga and he would pull it up over his head. And that was a sign that he was going to be participating in the cultic worship of that temple. He was going to be entering uh, prayers. He was going to be giving a prayer or he was going to be speaking. That's what the word prophesy means. He was going to be speaking um, or he was going to be doing a sacrifice. Or he was somehow involved in the public act of worship in that temple. Now, what seems to be, and, and I'm gonna deal with I'm um, just put that in your head. I wanna I wanna get the other side of things, the women, and again, I'm not entirely sure this was actually happening in the Corinthian church. I think Paul is giving a contrast, but he's basically saying when a woman comes to pray or prophesy, and I want you to note by the way, just as an aside um, they are placed in equal position there. Both of them are praying and prophesying in the public worship. I just leave that there. Um, you can sort that out. You can go a few weeks ago and listen to the lesson on that one. Um, but uh, the the uh, the women in a temple. What happened in this culture? In this culture, and I want to emphasize culture because none of us are wearing togas, right? All right? There's none of us wearing togas, so we don't have to worry about that part. And the, in this culture, though, a woman tended to cover her head when she was married. Married women tended to put a cover over their heads all the time as a sign that they were a married woman. And what would happen in some of the Roman cults is that a married woman um, was able to free herself temporarily of the bonds of her marriage to engage in, shall we say, less than moral behavior in the temple. And for the time that she dedicated herself to that behavior, she would uncover her head or shave her hair. It was kind of like a weird vow kind of thing that they would do. Um, now, there's a lot of issues with this in the, in the Roman world. Um, the Roman world, the Romans attitude toward intimacy and stuff is real messy. I don't want to get into it. Um, the Greeks, the Greeks very much were into this kind of thing. And Corinth is a very metropolitan society. So I would actually contend that what Paul is saying when he talks about the women and and cutting their hair, he's actually using that as a contrast to say to the men, you wouldn't have your wife uncover her head and come into worship and do the things a Roman woman would do. Again, lascivious, immoral. I'm not going to get into details. Ask your mom. Um, So why are you coming into the church with your heads covered like you're coming into a Roman cult. I I think, and and again, I could be wrong, but I, I think this is a chastening of the, the men who thought so highly of themselves in the Christian community that they saw themselves as the elite. They saw themselves as kind of the secular priests. And so as they came into the worship service, they were, they were pulling their togas up to, so that everyone would notice them. Everyone would see how holy they were. Everyone would see, make sure they noted that these are the guys who are going to be leading the worship. Aren't they wonderful? Aren't they special? Aren't they grand? There was a serious lack of discernment in the church about what was appropriate for the worship of the church. Now we're going to deal with this in chapter, later on in chapter 11. They're also throwing parties and excluding the poor people from communion because they can't pay the entrance fee, can't get past the bouncers. So there's all kinds of crazy things going on in this Christian worship. But So just depict this. Imagine that someone comes to Paul and he says to him, all right. There are some issues with the Corinthian church. And Paul goes, well, that's no surprise. Go ahead, shoot. What is it? He goes, well, first of all, they're having this big debate. um, uh, They're big debate about meat being offered to idols. Paul's like, okay, okay, I can check that off. There's also this guy living with his mother-in-law or his stepmom, but we won't talk about that. Paul's like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's bring that one back up. Um, But then he says, oh, and this is how our worship services are going. And Paul goes, okay, well, worship service should be pretty straightforward, right? The men and women of the community come together and we pray and we prophesy and we participate in the Lord's table. should be pretty straightforward. It should be pretty simple. And the guy goes, well, I mean, it is, except, um, okay, so these guys, they come in and, you know, they, they throw their togas over their heads and they are doing the Roman cultic worship thing with the name of our God. And Paul goes, hold up. We won't even get to the parties. We'll get to there. He says, wait, so let me get this straight. They are treating the worship of our God in Christ like the temple cults of Zeus and Dionysus and Pan and and Ares and and Venus and Aphrodite. That's what's going on here. He goes, yeah, 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 they, they come in and it's really cool, right? They all come in and they've got these big, beautiful togas and they put their hoods over and they come in and they, they start to pray and prophesy. It's a really cool um, multimedia presentation. And Paul, Paul immediately sees the deeper problem, which is that the Corinthians cannot discern what in their culture they can receive and use as Christians? What in their culture they can reject, just throw it out, and what can be redeemed? See, when we interact with our culture, those three categories are everything. Everything that we see in our culture, we have to ask the question, can we receive this? So let me give you an example of something in our culture that we can receive without too much trouble rubber tires on our tractors. You go what? How many of you have ever been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, seen the Amish? If you pronounce it Amish, you're wrong. It's Amish or the Mennonites, all right? So I grew up not too far away from that area. Um in the Amish culture, you can have a tractor. You just can't put rubber tires on it. Because rubber is not in the Bible. This would be an example of something. I think we're pretty, on, we're pretty much on safe ground if we go ahead and put rubber on our tires. We can receive that from our culture. Now let's talk about something we can reject from our culture. Should be pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, uh, let's pick something really, really simple that we should be able to have no problem rejecting in our culture. Drunken frat parties. We should be able to reject those. Right? That should be pretty straightforward. It shouldn't have a problem. The Corinthians had an issue with that. But we, we look at that and we go, that's not church. That's not, I mean, I don't know exactly what church is, I mean, but that is not church. But the gray area between the things that we can receive and we can reject, the things that have to be redeemed, that's a difficult area to discern. And the Corinthian church, this Corinthian church, they had gone and said, well, this is how we worship Zeus, so why shouldn't we worship God this way? Why shouldn't we just go ahead and, I mean, isn't this showing respect to God? And wouldn't it appeal to those who we're trying to reach if we look just like the elite men who are leading the, the, the cult of Dionysus? Wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense that people want to, they're, they're interested in Christianity, they come into the Christian situation, and, and they want to see something familiar? Wouldn't it be a comfort to them to see... That the men leading the worship, they take their togas and they cover their heads. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be comfortable for one Wouldn't that be easy for them? The problem with it is the reason that the heads were covered. Now there's a couple of things about this. I'm, I'm going to try to keep away from the grosser parts of the Roman culture. I'm doing my best, but it's hard. They were a gross people. Um, I cite the vomitorium, which is a room designated for exactly what it sounds like. Um, The reason that men covered their heads was that there's a couple of things. Number one, there was a, a lament that went on, an unworthiness before God, a barrier between them and God. And the covering of the head represented that. Um, By the way, a side note on this. Um, How many have ever seen that the Jews tend to cover their heads when they pray? That has no correlation to this whatsoever. That practice did not occur in Judaism until centuries after this. So just separate those two things. So there was a a, a guilt and lament. There was a, a barrier between man and God. But we actually have texts from the Romans and Greeks talking about what it meant for these men to cover their heads without getting into too much details they were making themselves available to be married to the god as a woman that's a bit of gender confusion the idea being that they were they were now first of all all right roman culture I'm not saying this is what the Bible says. Roman culture, women couldn't relate directly to the gods. They needed a man to relate to the gods and then be a man to them. Okay? There are plenty of religions today that think that. There are certain Christian denominations that think that. That's a very Roman way of thinking. But in the Roman world, the men were actually, by covering their heads, taking a marriage vow as the wife of the god. Could we potentially see a problem with bringing that into the church? Now, Paul, who is not only one of the most intelligent people probably that's ever lived, speaks multiple languages, understands Judaism, Greek philosophy, Roman law, tremendous, tremendous writer and speaker. For some reason, the Corinthians are not seeing this. They're like, okay, that's okay. And Paul is going, what are you thinking? You are claiming to lead the Christian worship, the worship that is grounded on the idea that Jesus destroyed the barrier between God and man so we could speak directly to him by covering your head and doing the unthinkable in your attitude toward God. Now, were the Corinthians doing that? They probably had no idea because we know that the Christians of this day, there weren't a whole lot of super wealthy Christians. So probably what happened was kind of middle class Christians were watching the temple of Zeus and saw all the men covering their heads and said, hey, that's what we should do. And since we're the higher ups in the church, we should do that too. Let's cover our heads. And it's always a bad idea when the church does a bad copy of what the world is doing. It never works out for us. Because we don't understand what's going on out there. We just see the appearance. We go, we want to do like they're doing. And you know what? The church throughout its history has had a real problem with this. When I was growing up, if you were going to be a pastor, you had to wear a suit and tie, be clean shaven, and have a comb over or bald. Those are the only two options. You could go with one of two. That was it. All right, that was the way it went. Now, some of, some of the pastors I knew were bald and did the comb over. Their hair was actually like 18 feet long and they'd just been wrapped around their heads four or five times. When I was growing up, that was what you did. Why? Why did a pastor have to wear a really nice suit and look classy in front of you? Because that's what businessmen did. That's what respected men did that's what politicians did they look like that you say is it really I said look at the 1800s look at a pastor from the 1800s and look at a politician from the 1800s they dressed very differently they had their own attire they had their own way Um, they they looked different but in the middle of the 20th century they started to adopt this idea my dad still has this mentality the beard makes you dirty that's his and he just can't do it now my dad was a hippie so when he had a beard, he was dirty. Um, but, uh, but, you know, and so this idea, that, this idea that, oh, for a man to have a beard. And, and I, I kind of have this conversation with my dad. I was like, don't you think it's a little even stranger? Not, no knock on any of you guys that shave. I'm not saying. It's just weird to me to scrape a sharp object across the surface of my face. It just seems strange. It's just like getting earrings. I don't have any piercings because I can't master the idea of sticking something metal through my body. It's, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just it's just my mentality. But our culture said this is what you did to be respectable. And so everybody said, well, that's what you're doing to be respectable and to grow and to be successful. So we all wear a suit. How is that any different? If we're j- dressing like... Um, this is a reference that nobody under the age of 40 is going to get. Um, what is uh, Michael, uh, 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 Oh, what's his name? He's married to Catherine Zeta-Jones. Michael Douglas's character in Wall Street. What's his name? Gordon Gecko. Does dressing like Gordon Gecko make you a successful pastor? All right. Now let me flip the script. Does wearing a medium t-shirt, that's a, that's a word that Ryan, Ryan Damaris coined, which is it looks like a medium, but it fits like a small. Um, a medium t-shirt, skinny jeans with rips in them, and $7,000 shoes. Does that make you a better pastor? See, the problem is, the temptation is that we look at the world... We see their behavior. We say, wouldn't people be more comfortable if we were like that? Wouldn't it be more effective if we reached out if we were like that? And then they adopted it. This is what happened in the Corinthian church. It's what happens in the church time and time again. Now, there are some things in our culture that can be redeemed. Um, People talk about, we, we did music. We're talking about music. Listen, there are only 12 notes, you can only arrange them in so many different ways. There are only so many chords. Now, there are more chords than most Christian musicians on the radio know how to play. But, but there, are, there, there are only so many chords. Music is going to sound similar. How many of you have ever had a song in church? Somebody starts playing a song in church, and you go, that sounds just like fill in the blank. All right, that's going to happen. It happens in classical music, right? Those of us that love classical music, you're like, wait, that sounds like they ripped that off. I've heard that movement before. That happens. We, We can take and redeem certain things, but we have to be careful what we just draw in. We don't just draw things into the church without looking through the whole nature of what it is. And that's the real problem in this church. The problem in this church, I really don't think the problem in this church was women shaving their heads like prostitutes. I don't think that was the problem. I think the women of this church seem to have been doing pretty good. They've got a couple of issues. It was the men who were adopting this practice because they were leading public worship. So what's the big idea here? The indiscriminate adoption of of whatever is popular, generally demonstrates a deep problem with discernment. Now I know I used a lot of a lot of multisyllable words there. Indiscriminate adoption of what is popular demonstrates a deep issue with discernment. Right or wrong, we Christians are required. To discern the meaning of what we do, especially in public worship. Christian worship is not a free-for-all. Now, I don't often do this. I'm going to bring up one particular group. I don't mean to offend, but I'm going to do it anyway because they're very popular. And so I want to reference this. Uh, There's a group called Bethel Music. If any of you have heard them, they... They're pretty good songwriters. There's a lot of them that do a lot of interesting songwriting. Um, When they started to get popular, I said, okay, let's research this. This is what I do, all right? Um, When there are all kinds of new movements in the church, I go and I buy books and I read interviews and I, I connect with people involved in the movements and I have friends in all different phases and things. If you ever watch a worship service at the church that Bethel Music is based in, it is absolutely insane. The pastor believes that clouds of gold appear above the congregation and fall down on those who are about to receive a financial blessing. As the musicians sing, there are people, and I wish I was making this up. I am not making this up. There's one particular video that, of a song that Nicole and I, were, we did because it wasn't one of their songs. They did a version of it, which was the introduction to it, but it's a much older song. And while the girl that is singing the song is standing there playing the guitar, there is another person standing next to her doing this. And behind her, there's somebody just splashing paint on a canvas. Not painting anything. There's no picture being made. Just splashing paint. What is going on? I grew up going to holiness churches. I've been there. Jed knows what I'm talking about. The phrase holy roller is a literal phrase. There is a movement in the holiness movement where if the Holy Spirit hits you, you roll. i'm not making this up holy spirit strikes you and there's just people rolling along the stage just rolling but it it happens right i'm not making this up it is real they lay on the ground and they where is the discernment see the church is full of with it's great to have ideas but we can't just indiscriminately adopt practices We need to have a deep understanding of discernment. We need to understand where things are coming from and where they are going. And that's the problem with the Corinthian church. What would have happened if Paul had not corrected this? How quickly would they have descended into other practices that were performed in the temples of the pagans in Corinth? If they were okay with the the thing, what's the next step? You say, well, that's a slippery slope argument. Yes! Yes! There's a reason a slope is slippery, because you slide on it. We do have to safeguard ourselves against things that take us into absurdity. You can't just randomly accept everything that comes down the pike. Being a Christian means being discerning. There are a lot of things that are very, very popular in the Christian world that discerning Christians should be aware of and alert to. Now, I'm not saying we have to walk around and condemn people. I know people that have websites that all they ever do is attack literally everybody and their brother about being wrong because they disagree on any one point. But we have to be discerning. So let me offer you this. You know the most important element of discernment is being willing to admit when you fail. When you're not discerning, when you include something or do something that isn't, doesn't fit, we have to be aware of that. We have to be willing to acknowledge and humble enough before God that when we do something and we realize it's influenced by something else, rather than doubling down, and we've all had this experience I'm sure that we as adults, we never do this, but you have this with a kid doubling down on something that they're doing that is obviously wrong because they don't want to admit that mom and dad might be right, right? Um, we never do that. As adults, I am sure we have never in a million years, I have never once had a conversation with my wife where she has looked something up and proved me that I was wrong and I continue to insist that I was right. It has never happened, ever. I have never lied about it either um it happens it happens but the the enemy of the power of the gospel one of the enemies of the power of the gospel is a lack of discernment in the church just because it's popular does not mean that it is good not just because it is part of our culture does not mean that it can come into the church we have to be aware we have to be balanced we have to be humble Moms and dads, that applies to the church of your home as well. You need to be discerning about what you allow into your home. You need to be aware that your children may not understand the implications of everything and be willing to explain. And kids... You need to be aware that your mom and dad were entrusted by God with your well-being. And they have a responsibility to him and to you to teach you how to discern what is right and what is wrong in our culture, no matter how uncomfortable it is. Moms and dads, you have an obligation to discern based on Scripture, not on opinion, not on attitude, And we as elders in the church, we have an obligation and a responsibility to be discerning in the church. But you as a congregation also have a responsibility and an obligation to be discerning. And that's not always the most comfortable thing in the world, but it's a necessary thing. You say, what about the rest of the text? I really think that's the underlying issue. I do not think the issue in this particular passage was that women were shaving their heads. I don't think that's the big problem. The big problem was discernment. The big problem was not understanding what they were bringing into the church. Would you join me in a word of prayer? (sighs) Father, we live in... A real world where the temptation to do whatever it is that is popular or right or um, uh, successful or um, perceived as, as vital and important, we live in a world where that is such a strong force. We live in a world where we are being told we can't have positions on things that are controversial. We are, live in a world where um, standing for right and wrong is being called being hateful. Lord, help us to have the discernment required to be the families of God, the church of God. Lord, to bring honor and glory to your name, to weed out in our own thinking and in our practices at all different levels the things that sometimes we don't even know we have allowed in that come from a place that would, that would marginalize the work of the gospel. Lord, help us to elevate holiness over pragmatism, to have the discernment to know what in our culture can be a part of our lives and to reject what cannot be, to be a holy and peculiar people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go and